the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage. And if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Hall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins, and for those of you who keep their eye on the green agenda, you will know you don't have to go through many days to notice that the stories, the questions, keep on coming. You haven't got to be a student of environmental matters to see that these issues aren't going away anytime soon. This is dominating stuff, hence the reason why we're here. Politicians should be aware this is where we discuss the issues that, frankly, should be on your agenda. Now, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, here's an explainer. This series is essentially about the views, campaigns and inner thoughts of one man. Uh, Dale Vince, the entrepreneur and environmentalist, has built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company. He's also the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. And on each episode, as you might expect, we bring you those dominating issues from the biggest agenda on the planet right now, the environment and climate change. Dale, how are you, sir? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, Ian. It, it, it came around quick, didn't it? I don't know whose idea it was to do weekly, but uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's quick. It's it, exciting. It's, it's current, isn't it? it you well, know, it's, it's, it's that, and it's like getting the, you know, the, the email from Netflix saying, if this has gone so well, we're going weekly. <laughs> I've never had one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't either. I'm merely imagining that sensation as it pops into your inbox. Let's, uh, let's begin here. In England from Monday... We're introducing the rule of six. You must not meet socially in groups of more than six. And if you do, you will be breaking the law. This will apply in any setting, indoors or outdoors, at home or in the pub. The ban will set out in law and be set out in law and it will be enforced by the police. And anyone breaking the rules risks being dispersed, fined and possibly arrested. So they're the latest uh, rules which came in today, Monday, if you're listening to this on the day of release. And this is the story that the global response to COVID-19 has barely made a dent in the causes of climate change, according to a major new report. While emissions of CO2s plummeted during lockdown, concentrations of the long-lasting gas have continued to rise in the atmosphere. What do we make of this, Dale? Yeah, it's interesting. The overall picture for 2020 looks like a 4 to 5% cut in CO2 emissions, uh, which is not bad. Uh, but as somebody pointed out, we need that kind of impact every year for the next 10 years to really stay within the 1.5 degree temperature rise threshold. Uh, so we need a, a kind of uh, virus scale impact on emissions every mm. year for the next decade. I mean, nobody ask. Yeah, it's a big ask. But I mean, when you look at the period from 2016 to 2020 is likely to be the warmest five years on record. I mean, this is not an insignificant factor in the story. No, that's right. And uh, concentrations of carbon in the atmosphere are continuing to climb and they are higher than they've been in the last three million years. You know, I think it's incontrovertible that this is man-made, driven by the Industrial Revolution. 
And, uh, you know, the, the one and a half degree temperature rise that uh, the UN and everybody have propagated as the kind of safe target for us is based on pre-industrial levels of temperature of the globe. It's, it's industrialization that causes it, the burning of fossil fuels. And of course, the more this goes on, the opportunity to reverse becomes ever more difficult. Yeah, I read something today that said um, 2035 is the deadline. If we haven't got this under control by then, it will become irreversible, uh, which is a little bit scary. Yeah. I mean, in terms of nobody wants to see a, a global pandemic, but you, know, you, you might kind of think that if you can find positivity out of negativity, then th this would sort of be the area that you might think governments are saying, OK, well, it has sort of given us or should have given us a, at least a a peek into what can be done, what needs to be done. Yeah, and I think also it's given us a peek into the kind of disruption that nature is capable of bringing. You know, I mean, it's been incredible disruption, and I think a lot of us just didn't believe that it was going to come, the lockdown as severe as it did, and, and all that kind of stuff. Climate change will be several orders of magnitude bigger than that if we don't get it under control. So I think it's given us a sense of what nature is capable of and how, you know, we're not masters of the planet, actually. Yeah. As well as you say, you know, it's given us a sense of what we're capable of doing in response. Um, and... Uh, as said before, I hope that we can carry some of that throughout the back end of this, the incredible sums of money that we spent fighting the virus crisis we need to spend on the climate crisis and uh, the changes in our behaviour. We don't need to make them as dramatic. We just need to start to change how we live. What do you do when you, you're in a pub having a pint, you, you get chatting to somebody and they're a little sceptical about all of this? Because I get these kind of comments uh, every week when I do a radio show and we talk about this stuff and somebody will not just say, look, I don't believe this. I don't, certainly don't believe the man-made component is responsible. And they also will send in graphs and, and, and all sorts of links to things and say, look, look at this. Look, we actually, it was warmer in 1573 and then again in 1722. Uh, and, you know, as the, the, the world moved on, there's lots of these kind of peaks and troughs. How, how did, and I, I look at the people behind the United in Science report, which is responsible for what we're talking about here and that brings together some you know pretty big organizations the un the world meteorological association i, I don't think all those people are just making this up so how no. do you how do you fight off cynicism on this i i think it's a it's a feature of the modern world particularly the internet driven social media powered modern world you know that we have these cranky theories and these kind of uh you know, bonkers twisting of statistics and that kind of stuff. It just happens, doesn't it? Whereas 99.9% of, of all scientists in the world are agreed that uh, climate change is real and it's man-made. Um, so I think we're always going to get outliers, you know, fringy opinions and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. I, I just move on. It's interesting because when you look at the stat, the study showed that the global lockdowns had a, an effect of greenhouse gases falling by 17% compared to 2019 so it's a way of trying to hit that kind of pattern but continuously yeah that was the month of lockdown wasn't it the yeah. most dramatic uh, period of uh, of the virus impact overall in the year is four or five percent and we only need to continue that for 10 years actually not the 17 percent so it's not as bad as it was in let's say march sure sure uh, the kind of changes that we need to make but you know everything that we need to make these changes uh, is is with us, is in the world today. Renewable energy can replace fossil fuels in the way that we power our homes and businesses and in the way that we power transport. And we can change our diets because industrial farming is one of the biggest drivers of climate change on the planet, but we don't have to eat animals. Uh, we certainly don't have to farm them in that really abusive and, and climate deadly way. 
all of the change we need to make is possible for us and actually will be better for us in terms of our health and better economically. Uh, that's all in the book. Wait, and we'll come back to that and it brings us on to this story. I don't think climate change was something that I was very concerned about. I was a little bit concerned about it, but it definitely wasn't something I thought about every day. Leah could have a big impact on the way we live our lives. She spends most of her time looking after horses, but a few months ago she received an invite to join the UK's first climate assembly. So there it is, the UK's first climate assembly. This has got to be good news, Dale. Yeah, I think it is actually because, you know, the kinds of things these guys have come up with and the level of concern and focus that, you know, that, that they've shown exists in the general population is really encouraging. And, you know, they're on exactly the right kind of uh, track. Uh, you know, there's a suggestion of uh, phasing out SUVs, taxing more polluting vehicles, that kind of stuff. These yeah. are exactly the kinds of things that government needs to do to use the, the big levers of government, taxes, subsidies and regulations to change how the world works. Yeah, uh, curbing road building uh, and using the pandemic to cut emissions, which we were just alluding to. What I thought was interesting about this, this came around, uh, this Citizens' Assembly. Um, it was set up by six government select committees. So these are cross-party groups of MPs, which comes back to what we've said a lot, doesn't it? That this doesn't have to be one political party driving this. And interestingly, they picked 108 people. I know it's a small sample, but they were from all walks of life. So again, it sort of compounds that idea. This doesn't all sing from one particular political hymn sheet. No, that's right. I, th I think it should be an apolitical issue. You know, it's about... Um, it it's about the survival of our species at the most extreme end, but it's also about the quality and nature of life that we live, you know, and, and it's about us recognising that the current modern way of living where we just run around burning everything we can find and throwing stuff away and polluting yeah. the hell out of the world just isn't sustainable and is not very nice either. And it does in a way, you know, when, when ministers are cagey or nervous about implementing something because they think, well, there's no public appetite for this or this will scare people off or they won't understand it. Although this is, you know, it, it's just one assembly that's been set up. But, you know, there's evidence there to say that you can say back to those ministers, well, actually, uh, if you look at the evidence from this, these were 108 people from all different backgrounds and they came up with these ideas. So you can almost throw that back to ministers now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the way I see it, there are like three sectors of society that need to, uh, to act to tackle this crisis. And it is government on the one hand, business on the other, and people. People are the ultimate consumers of things. And so ultimately, we drive all of the issues, but we're not in control of everything. Uh, businesses need to provide the products and the services, <coughs> excuse me, that help, will help people live a lower carbon life. And governments need to set the regulations that not just help businesses, but also cajole them into doing mm. the right things. So it's a combination we need of government, business and people. And governments often don't lead, they tend to follow. So you're right, if they see the Citizens' Assembly want this, if they think people want this, then they will start to do more of it. And that will help encourage and cajole businesses to produce the right kinds of things that help us live a more zero carbon lives. So it's a kind of a teamwork that we need. Indeed. Um, let's move on to some questions. Frank on Twitter says, great news on Hector. Can I invest in Forest Green too? I don't have his money, but I'd like to show some support. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, uh, I believe you can. I have to be careful because uh, we can't like advertise shares for Forest Green. I think there are some kind of financial regulations around that. But I'm sure. if you get yeah, if you get in touch as a club, we're able to sell shares to support some people as, as we did with Hector. So I mean, the answer is yeah. You know, drop us a line. 
Uh, we need to, I've just realised in, in kind of conventional radio terms, Dale, since we're doing this every week, we kind of need a sort of a sound effect, like a bugle, uh, every time we mention the book. Um, oh, there's one. That's, that's good. I like, can we hear that again? Yeah, that's what we need. Uh, a, <laughs> to, so we can warn people that there is a, uh, an unequivocal gratuitous book plug coming up. And, and why not? I mean, this is your podcast. It would be extraordinary if we didn't mention uh, the book, uh, all the usual questions. Uh, when's it out? When can I read it? Where can I get it? What's it about? Yeah, um, no, fab. Look, for me, it's not about selling books. Uh, that's not the reason that I keep mentioning it. It's because I uh, took a month out and put all of the thinking that I have, all of the experience that I have into this book and came up with uh, essentially a plan for how we get to zero carbon living. And, I, and I'm really keen for people to read it. I'm really keen. I hope that it has an impact. Proceeds from the book are going to go to environment causes. So it's not like a commercial thing. Uh, but the book's out at the end of November. It's called Manifesto. And uh, I think it's got all of the answers in it. And uh, like I say, I'm really excited about it. And I can't stop kind of referring to it because, well, here we are on, on the podcast talking about exactly yeah. the same issues. And, and sure. so, you know, I keep bumping into it. What I'm really looking forward to, sort of journalistically, is to the last part, which I know you set out the manifesto in the last part of the book. I can't wait to sit with a politician and just go through this kind of bit by bit and say, well, why can't that bit be done? Uh, it's going to be interesting watching the answers. Yeah, it will be. And I'll be interested to hear the answers, actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm just about to uh, share this with, uh, with a few politicians to see what the, uh, what the reaction is. And so far, having talked about it, there's a, there's a keenness to see it. So that's good. Good work. Can we just hear the bugle again? <laughs> there it is. Every time you hear that, book plug is on the way. This comes from Jenny on Facebook. He says, uh, hi, Dale. Uh, do the changes in lockdown rules mean we won't be able to get back to games in October? Yeah, what's happening there? Yeah, nobody really knows. At the moment, it looks like the pilot games that were planned for September will have a slightly reduced capacity, but will probably go ahead. And the current outlook is that we'll still have fans coming back in October. It may be less than was thought a week or so ago. But, you know, it's a moving background. The, the background could get worse or it could get better uh, before October comes. Although, you know, the, the kind of feedback I'm, I'm hearing is that it's likely to get worse. I hope not. But, you know, rates of infection and stuff like that uh, do appear to be spiking again. So uh, there's a real risk that um, we don't get fans back, I think. Um, sure. But I'm guessing. We're all guessing. That's the thing. Even uh, the government are guessing, aren't they? Yeah, uh, You just hope that they were better informed when they're guessing than we are, but I'm not sure they are. Uh, here's a headline. Californian wildfires make everything look like Blade Runner. This isn't good news. <laughs> yeah. It's the Siberian wildfires that worry me. I mean, they've just had their hottest period like ever, so hot yeah. that, the, that you know there are like flash fires in Siberia. I mean, that, that's a, a sign of just how bad things are. Yeah, that's not meant to happen, is it, really? I mean, I, I don't know what the... <laughs> I'm no meteorologist, but I've got a funny, you know, when you think of wildfires, uh, natural or otherwise, then Siberia, in word association terms, doesn't, is not really on the list. No, it's hot places, isn't it? Here's a question from Adam. Uh, new to the podcast, as an Arsenal fan, can you get us some decent vegan food on the menu, please? I can't get it unless I upgrade. <laughs> what does he mean by upgrade? That I don't know. 
Uh, but maybe he means upgrade to hospitality, which would make some sense. But uh, it's one of the things Hector says he's going to help us do, actually, is to get our uh, burgers, our matchday food into Arsenal. So uh, yeah. fingers crossed we'll manage that. I'd like to think he means upgrade from being an Arsenal fan to a Forest Green <laughs> fan. That would be. <laughs> he might have meant that. Yeah. <laughs> he might have meant that, yeah. But that is deemed as a promotion in anybody's book, frankly. Um, and here's a headline as well. Live fast, die young is a truism often applied to rock stars, but could be just as easily describing trees, according to a new research. Trees that grow rapidly have a shorter lifespan, which could spell bad news for tackling the climate crisis. Now, it's not just a case then of planting trees and then going home and you know, lighting a cigarette and having a beer then. There's a couple of things I take from this. One is that uh, if there's a propensity to plant fast-growing trees, that's not going to have such a good outcome as it appeared. In this study, what they've found is that the trees that grow the fastest, mature the quickest and die the soonest and then stop storing carbon. That, that probably sounds quite obvious, but yeah. you know, here's a scientific study that says that's a fact. And uh, across all latitudes of the world and in all soil conditions, so it's a very common thing. So we should be planting slower growing, longer living trees when we're reforesting to fight the climate crisis. I think that's, uh, you know, that's one big takeaway from this study. And the other one is that um, it's often said that because there's more carbon in the atmosphere now, than CO2, that helps plants and trees grow quicker. And so there's a beneficial effect of climate change in that we can grow stuff quicker to take carbon out of the atmosphere, which yeah. seems a bit odd. But it shows you just how interactive the whole climate crisis is. And uh, the authors of this study are saying, actually, that looks to be now less beneficial because uh, these trees are going to peak quicker and die sooner. And, and it's interesting. I mean, somebody tried to draw a conclusion that therefore we can't rely on planting trees to absorb carbon and help fight climate change. Uh, somebody else said, no, that's not true. I'm that's with not true, them. No. It's definitely not true. We just have to plant more trees and better trees. Yeah. And I guess I, I can sort of see almost the political pressure from politicians who want to just plant lots of trees so that in five years' time they can literally see the fruits of their seed. And look look what we've done. So visually, the optics are great, aren't they? Look, there's a, it was once a barren field. Now it's full of flipping trees. Well, if they're going to die in five years' time, that's not really the spirit of planting the tree. No, except we could feed them to Drax, couldn't we? They like to burn trees. That's very true. That's very true. Uh, here's one from Johan on Twitter, a final question. Is there a place I can find out about your speaking gigs, Dale? Uh, no. no. <laughs> They're all a secret. Nobody's allowed well, yeah. to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here, actually, because uh, I kind of don't have any speaking gigs. But... Um, well, that used to be the case. But in this new world, I do have speaking gigs. Uh, they're all virtual. They're all done by yeah, Zoom or something like that. And I'm really enjoying that. And it's, it's made a massive difference because I used to just turn stuff down like all the time because I wouldn't travel for it. Uh, you know, I mean, it, to speak for an hour in London, you have to take a whole day out, for example. Of course you do. Uh, but what I found now is that I can just join anything, anywhere just from my office. And, yeah. uh, and so I am picking up a whole <laughs> bunch of gigs. So uh, Climate Week. I like the way when you say you could join anything anywhere, that means you could just pop up randomly on anybody's Zoom meeting. It's happening, but not quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this week we got a couple of uh, requests to take part in Climate Week, uh, which is later in September, for example. And, um, you know, the other week I did UEFA. I think yep. we talked about that. That was fantastic. And, and I'm, I have to say I'm loving it. And so now I'm just saying yes to almost everything. And it's a good question. How can we let people know 
uh, where it's going to happen. I'll take that back to the tech team. Yeah, I guess anything like this would appear on your Twitter feed and, and, and the like. What I find interesting is that you were already utilising digital technology to not go to events that meant you had to jump on an aeroplane. So you were kind of ahead of the game in that respect, Dale. This has now become sort of default now, that you, you can sit on a computer, you don't have to travel. Whereas, So there is, as we've discussed in previous stories, there's a kind of an interesting upshot as a result of this. Yeah, that's right. Play the boogle because this is a theme of the book as well. Hang on. Um, There it is. Excellent. But, you know, for me, it's a really happy thing because uh, a year ago it was difficult to take part by video. I mean, I had this first experience with UEFA, which, you know, blessed them. They've embraced and they're they're telling everybody about. I mean, they really didn't like the idea. Now they love the idea. So a year ago it was very difficult. and, And right now it's just a new normal and I love it. Um, yeah. And so it's a happy thing for me because I get to take part, get to communicate, uh, but I do it from my office without uh, burning anything. Well, it used to be, didn't it, that whoever's hosting these things say, oh, it's a shame they can't be with us, but they're on video feed. Now it would be extraordinary if it was the other way around. It's just now it's very quickly become the, the, the kind of default setting. We've, we've got used to it rather fast as well. Yeah, and I think it's one of the great things, uh, and there are some, that have come out of this virus experience. You know, I don't think we'll go back to the old normal anytime soon, actually. Yeah. An awful lot of meetings are taking place by Zoom, and uh, I mean, I, I call it Zoom, but there are lots of proprietary platforms to do True. that. There's a lot of that taking place now. I don't think that'll change because it's so convenient. You can be literally anywhere in the world yeah. without leaving your, your home or your office, and then, uh, you know, 10 minutes later, you're back to where you need to be. And uh, I don't think that will change. Yeah. And you're not jumping in a car or a plane or a bus to do it, which, you know, there's only positives out of that, too. Dale, cracking stuff. Uh, We'll speak next week. Yeah, it's going to come around quick, isn't it? I'm looking forward to it. It is indeed. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can subscribe for free from your podcast provider, which means you'll get each weekly episode automatically do make sure that you leave a review on there as well you can get in touch with us too by email your comments and questions at zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk is the email address the really important bit of course is to follow dale on social media that's twitter.com slash dale vince facebook.com slash dale vince we'll see you on the next episode zero carbon east off